Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now This is Michael Kane. You might remember me from the movie Zulu, which you just listened to and watched about in the last episode of this pod. I just wanted to say today that you are in for quite a treat as these two buckos here take a look at a movie that is more British than the British pound. Ladies and gentlemen, the English patient, or for screen and country, with Jason and Brendan. Thank you, Michael. Yes, thank, thank you, Michael. <laughs> wow, it's weird that Michael Caine in no way sounds like Jason. It's funny, it's funny he would just come by, do that, not even speak to us, and then walk out the door. Didn't even ask for money. No money, nothing, didn't even want to drink. No. Hmm. Jason. Brennan. This is a podcast. Yeah. Of a British film. Yeah. Specifically, what it, this is called For Screen and Country. Yes. Uh, that is but, the title. Again, uh, I believe Daniel Barula gave us that name. Yes, it's so a again, wonderful thank name. You. Thank you, Daniel. Um, but why don't you tell the folks what we do on this here podcast? We go through randomly with dice. We roll these dice like Andrew Dice Clay, because that's what he's known for is rolling dice. The old, the old Andrew Dice Clay roll oh, dice. Oh, let's roll these dice and watch a British movie, because that's what we do. We go through the BFI film list and we watch a British movie. <laughs> and then and then when we're done, ostensibly, we should have a list of what we think the best British movies are. Which, at this point, Brendan, let's go through our list. Let's recount it. Let's okay. count it down. So, so, the, so the worst British movie worst of British all time. The worst British film of all time so far is David Lean's Dr. Zhivago. <laughs> the, the best British film The of best all. British film of all time is the great Michael Caine starring and Stanley Baker starring Zulu. And nothing else. And nothing else. The only <laughs> two British films ever made as of this point. But this time we. But are, there's a new one. Yes, we are deep diving into a modern film on this list. Yeah, a little, a little newer for sure. Uh, those were definitely some. Those were both uh, films from the '60s, if I remember correctly. Yeah, only like two years, only one or two years apart. Yes. So here we go. So we are, ladies and gentlemen, this week is 1996's The English Patient. Before we start talking about the Englishest of patients, and I can't wait. We uh, we got some uh, comments about last week's episode on Zulu. Zulu Nation. That's right. That's what we call ourselves now. We're fans. Yes, that's us. Hey. Zulu Nation. Hey. So let's talk about some responses to last week about the movie Zulu. We didn't get as many as other films, but that's okay because I imagine not a lot of people have seen this movie. You mean the other film? I mean, theoretically, from other films that are more widely seen, yeah. we will get more responses. I mean, we've only done one of these before this. That's right. Yeah, we only watched <laughs> one movie. And this is definitely being recorded at all at the same time. That's right. 
so I guess the first comment here is uh, this Andrew Littlefield, or yeah, Littlefield says, uh, well done action and a good cast, but the pro-colonial part is a bit hard to take. Not unlike the attitude towards Native Americans and Westerns. Yeah, <laughs> that's agreed. You really have to watch this movie uh, kind of with a... A lens. A lens. Uh, historical... A certain tolerance for historical perspectives. Yeah. Well, I think we also talked about, though, like how this movie was surprising and that it didn't... It, it had the colonial aspect, but it did it in a way that wasn't offensive and it wasn't like... It was very balanced. It was a movie that was made by white progressive people in the 60s and it was their idea of what a, a fair and progressive take was on maybe this story. Which, you know, is better than probably it could have been, but also, if they made this movie today, Brendan, they would make it from the Zulu's perspective. Or at least, yeah, they probably would. <laughs> uh, what's, what's next here? I think Eric Bischoff's son? Eric Bischoff's son, Nick, Nick Bischoff, says, Good movie! Early Kane and some pretty great action sequences for the period. The Friendly Fire episode is worth a listen. This is a, a, podcast. a podcast called The Friendly Fire. Well, check leave... them out. They might have a good episode on it. Yeah, I think they talk about uh, they talk about war movies. Every episode's a different war movie. Ooh, I should check that you, out. Uh, you probably like it, yeah. Uh, yeah, Early Kane. Yeah, this was, like, we, that's a big thing. for One of the first Michael Kane performances and... Uh, I mean, I don't know if it's one of the best because I haven't seen every and, one of them, And remember, but... as we noted during the episode, it certainly is the poshest Michael Caine performance that at least that I've ever seen. Well, and he's also a part of, as of right now, the best British film ever made. That's right. As Currently you, as the you greatest remember. British film ever made. Um, Adam Pellman kind of said the same thing about the colonial thing. He said, uh, I'm a huge fan ever since catching it on the History Channel years ago. Considering when it was made, I think it has very little of a hooray for a colonialism vibe. Yeah, well, it, it's downplaying it from what you would if, say the movie were made in maybe the 30s. It would be, uh, you know, way more pro-colonial. But again, just over time, uh, we, we get a very different perspective on the British Empire. <laughs> I think it's also a thing where um, it's almost like, uh, this is a weird example, but it's almost like when you watch a movie like The Greatest Showman, where everything, everybody's all very happy and very happy-go-lucky and everything, but then if you knew anything about the real P.T. Barnum, you'd know that it's not actually like that. Yeah, that he was a piece of shit and it's singing like, songs isn't going to change that. Yeah, like, you watch you watch this movie, Zulu, and it's like, it's from a more individual soldier perspective yeah. rather than a political one. And, yeah, like, you're watching it and you're like, well, I know what's really going on, but I don't blame the individual people, really. We, we love the individual stories of soldiers going through real hard situations and coming out, you know, a lot. Coming out? Yes, coming out alive. That's what this movie is about. It's <laughs> so, uh, all those why everybody's wearing red. <laughs> What's next? What's next? Uh, well, Dave Ritchie says, It's an interesting film both in its context and in its content. Uh, as in, it's interesting to see the, how that Brit period of British history was portrayed at the time, being in 1964. I enjoyed it. I also enjoyed it, Dave, so thanks for your comment agreeing with me. And the last one... <laughs> You're just going to let that slide? Yep. All right, fine. <laughs> what do you want me to say? I don't know. Give me some sort of, sort of shit. This is what these people pay for. Uh, They pay for it? You know what? Don't even worry about it. Never mind. Wait, what's going on? Jason? No, uh, uh, our next comment is uh, James Mirabello. James says, I do know that the Battle of Rourke's Drift is taught a lot in military academies. Yeah, and I imagine it would be because, you know, it's a small force defending against a much larger force and coming out, you know, uh, coming out of it alive. You know, you remind me of an actor. No, that's not. Uh, never mind. It's it's a long shot. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, no, I, we're we're good. I, I don't know what you, you just you seem different today. You know what? I, I've just I've been feeling I've been feeling good. I've okay. been feeling real good, Brendan. Okay, uh, I've made some changes in my life, and um, 
I have, to, I have you to thank for it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank I'm you. Dancing around happy now. He's, he's got a smile on his face, folks. Because I said a nice thing to him. So, Battle of Rourke's Drift taught at military academies. I, I didn't know that. That's cool. That sounds yeah. sounds like a legit thing because they have the whole uh, formation uh, dealie at the end where they're lining up and then the back row stands up and then the back row and, gets down. And, and, it's, and it's integral to modern musket combat tactics uh, to know what happened at the Battle of Rourke's Drift. I, I, thought know, you they, were, I know they didn't use muskets. I thought you were saying as if like people still use muskets now. That was, that was going to be my joke. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't think they use muskets there. I think they were using like breech loaders or yeah, I think they were breech loading guns. Yeah, mus- I don't know a lot about guns. Muskets is a very modern thing, Jason. Muskets yeah. is a, is a uh, Iraq I, they're coming. Thing. They're coming back because you need that reach. Reach with the bayonet. They're coming back in a big way, just like plastics. That's right. But uh, you know what? We covered Zulu, so let's go yeah, to the main so, attraction. So the, the, what we have to take from these comments is that not a lot of people have seen Zulu, so I really recommend that all you people out there take a few hours this weekend, sit down with your families. Christmas is coming? Yeah, Christmas is coming. So sit down with your families, have some eggnog, a little bit of rum, you know, get grandma out, and uh, watch Zulu. I like how you said get grandma out as if well, she was like a recliner each the wheel might, out to the living room. She may very well have some insight into Zulu. Yeah. She may have been there. Perhaps she was a missionary in South Africa oh, in the 1970s. Oh, honey, I dated that Zulu leader. <laughs> he was grand. Grand. Wait, why did I make a, Wait, why did I make grandma Harvey Firestein? I don't know. I mean, hey, it's all silly, Brendan, at the end of the day. Speaking of silly... Let's get back. Well, I don't know why I said speaking of silly, but let's get to our main attraction, the English Patient. Here we go. Now, I just want to say, as we get the start, the reason that played for so long is because this movie is really long. It's really long. Uh, English Patient, directed by Anthony Mingella, or Mingella, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, uh, starring Ray Fiennes, yeah. Kristen Scott Thomas, mm-hmm. Juliette Binoche, yeah. Willem Dafoe, yes, sir. Colin Firth, oh my, uh, and a bunch of other people. Yeah, lots of other actors and actresses of non-white descent, but they have no speaking roles. Uh, yeah. Well, oh, no, wait, wait, well, Naveen Andrews. Naveen well, Andrews. Naveen Andrews. We'll get to him. Yeah. So, The English Patient, 1996, number 55 on the BFI list. Yeah. 55. Uh, 55. Eh? We went down the list a little bit. Yeah, we did. Uh... So, so what, pray tell, is The English Patient about? Well, first off, before we get started, I want to say, we just heard that little piece of music, and if you'll remember when we did Dr. Zhivago, it was that kind of like upbeat Russian kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. It was, it, was, it was very evocative of what the movie was coming. It had a little bit of energy to it. And then we got to Zulu, and we had that real nice piece of, uh, uh, you know, that nice Zulu music. It's very martial. And it's, you know, get... But then when we listened to this one, it's... Men of Harlock. Sorry. <laughs> yes, Men of Harlock. We love it. But this the, the, the this piece of music was very a lot more laid back and a lot more mellow and very quiet. 
and that's kind of what we're in for because I was on the verge of falling asleep through a lot of this, but I but I powered through it, Brendan, because I believe in the bit in the biffy. I believe in the list, and this there must have been something worthwhile. So let's go through this thing. Don't be afraid, guys. I was just Jason smacking his head against. I'm sorry. The table. <laughs> I get I get excited, and I need to you know blow off some steam. I just don't want the listeners to be afraid. That's fine. I don't want to blow their ears out either. <laughs> Not yet. Mission we'll get there. Accomplished. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about this fucking movie, Brendan. So what is it about? Out. The English Patient is a film. Okay, good. And so let's talk about this movie. Let's so talk about it. <laughs> Great. It's a film, and we know it's a film because when it opens, it has uh, some pictures, and those pictures are of a hand drawing some shit. And at first, I thought they were drawing like a lobster, uh, but it, if it, as you watch, it eventually turns into what looks like a really terrible rendering of a person. Right. Possibly sp- spread on the ground like they're gonna get maybe mounted uh i wasn't sure it turns out they're swimming but we'll get there yes so the english patient is a film we can confirm and it's told in 1996 can we 1996 from 1996 by the way confirm that you can confirm this i have to also say though uh watching this film it's something about it is very 90s like that i could smell the blockbuster on it when i turned it on i don't know what, what the weird combination of popcorn and carpet but so I don't know, but we'll see. So it's it's told through two different time periods. We have our, our kind of present day, which is uh, 1944, 1945, Italy. And we have a nurse, uh, Juliette Binoche, Hannah, French-Canadian, uh, with a very poor French-Canadian accent. Is she French-Canadian? Am I just... And now am I she just, has a real French accent. It, but French, it sounds more French than French-Canadian. Uh, she's not Crap. like, ah, look at this burned up guy. That was more that was more Pepe Le Pew. I was like, so wait a second, Susan. <laughs> Pepe Le Pew is the epitome of yeah, accurate French Canadian, yeah. accurate French Canadian accent. I guess no, the French Canadian did talk more like this in a very machine gun French, and she didn't. She hello, I am. Wait, what the she fuck am very, I doing? Hello, uh, you, uh, you, uh, you hello, hello, I am Juliette Binoche. Julia Binoche. So I don't know. Maybe she's French Canadian, and I'm just being mean. So, <laughs> so she's a nurse, and she is caring for this gentleman, uh, this pile of flesh uh, that is the remnants of a guy that, that uh, was injured in a plane crash. And I don't know who he is, and he doesn't know who he is. Right. He just has flashes of memory. Uh, so, anyways, he he crashed in the desert. Some Bedouin tribesmen pick him up. They try to care for him, but he's all bloody and burned. And then he ends up eventually making his way to Italy. I well, not his way. He gets taken there. He's not going anywhere on his own. We can be clear about no, that. No, he is like he is like burned, a la Gary yeah. Oldman in Hannibal. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> it reminded uh, me a lot of that. It was it was it was almost exactly the same, except Ray Fiennes had the credit. <laughs> so here's the thing: he, they don't know who he is. The only clues to his identity, Brendan, are is a copy. Of the histories by Herodotus, and we know Herodotus, ladies and gentlemen, if you remember your grade ten history, Herodotus is the father of history. He was the man who uh, documented the uh, the Persian Wars. Uh, you, you probably saw three hundred if you were a teenage boy in the last twenty years. Twenty uh, <laughs> years. Yeah, no, I'm just saying if you have been a teenage boy at any point in the last twenty years, you probably if you saw three hundred. You were 300. seventeen twenty years ago. Yeah. <laughs> you probably saw three hundred and loved it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So he wrote about that stuff. He wrote about uh, Thermopylae and, and uh, uh, those battles, Sparta, Athens, Persians, all that shit. So, and that's going to be my catchphrase from now on is so. If you go back. You oh, I thought you meant Persians and all no, that shit. No, <laughs> Persians and all that shit. Yo. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the only clues to his identity are in this book. It's a copy of Herodotus' histories and it's got drawings and pictures and all this stuff and letters and names and whatever. But they can't make heads or tails of it because I think they can read, but I don't know. Uh... So, anyways, as they're going deeper in Italy, the nurse, Hannah, she's like, but shit, I can't really... Why, why should I be dragging this guy along? 
he's just hurting him. It's making him worse. We need to pull over somewhere and just kind of take care of him and let him die. Because they figure it's going to be pretty soon. Because yeah. he's, he's, I mean, he's been holding on for probably three or four years at this point. Has it been that long? Yeah, yeah. No, okay. he, yeah, I think he crashes in 1941. Oh, that makes a lot more sense now that yeah. I'm thinking about it. Because, yeah, okay, well, I'll get to it later. So they, they go to this nice little French villa. Or not French, it's in Italy, so it's Italian. It's almost like a little like castle or a church or something. A French-Italian villa, yes. Yeah, French-Italian villa. <laughs> it, it, I think it's a church, possibly. Or kind if, of. If it sort of has like a belfry. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm waving my hands like as if it's uh, got a bell in it. it it's got uh, a lot of weird supplies, though, for yeah. the church. Like a lot of convenient movie supplies. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, sure, it's a church. We'll just yeah, say that. It's a church of some sort. So she manages to convince her superiors to let her stay there. She hauls the guy out, sets him up, and basically starts living the life of an idyllic peasant. Uh, she's, like, making him food, and she's doing a garden, and she's, you know, doing whatever. And while she's there, uh, a few other people start to show up. Um... Uh, and I don't know if this happens before the first flashback or whatever, but it doesn't really matter. We'll get to it. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. so characters showing up. We've got uh, Naveen Andrews shows up as Kip Singh, which we saw him a little bit earlier. He's yeah. like he's like a guy who uh, he's like a mine he's a sapper. Is that what they're called? They're called okay. sappers. Yeah, he de- defuses mines and bombs and such things. Yeah, he's got Officer Hardy with him as well. Yeah. His and assistant. now, for those who remember uh, the TV show Lost, Naveen Andrews captured our hearts as the former Iraqi torturer Saeed. Uh, he was really good on that show. Okay. And uh, here he is, and I did not realize he was in this movie, so awesome. I'm happy to see him. I have never seen Lost, so... Oh, well, it's, it's about four seasons of that is really fucking good. Uh, Welcome to the first episode of our Lost cast. <laughs> so where were we here? So, uh, yeah, There's so... People start showing Naveen up. Naveen Andrews shows up with his sergeant. They're a bomb defusal team, and they decide to hang out. And uh, then eventually uh, we have David Caravaggio, played the by weirdly named Canadian, played by Willem Dafoe. The great people. Willem Dafoe. The amazing Willem Dafoe. He shows up, and what's his deal? Turns out he works for the Canadian Intelligence Corps, which I assure you was a real thing in World War II. And he was a thief. He, uh, was he? He said he was a thief. Oh. He's well, also, he said he was They hired a thief. him as a thief, I think. Well, I mean, he's like a spy. Oh, maybe. Okay, you know what? I, I don't know. I think, well, maybe maybe that was his cover, that he was a thief. It would sure. explain the, the problem that he has uh, with the lacking thumbs. Yes. Uh, that comes up later. Uh, with the, my favorite scene in the movie, which has really nothing else to do with the oh, plot. Oh, it's great, yeah. Uh, so all these, so these people are all there, and he, uh, the man, the the injured man, the English patient, Ray as Fines. it were, Ray Fines, uh, under lots of makeup. Oh, uh, he begins to recount to initially to Hannah some stuff that he remembered, but eventually it becomes Caravaggio. Uh, digging into him and basically interrogating him because Caravaggio thinks he might be a German spy. He's pretty sure he saw him at some point. And we start to learn about who this guy is. So it turns out that our English patient is actually Hungarian. His name is Laszlo de Almazi. Yeah, but he just goes by Almazi. Almazi, they call him Almazi for short. Almazi for short. Well, I like Laszlo. That's a good sounding. That's like Lorenzo. Call me Rafe. Rafe Hines. Rafe Hines. So he's a Hungarian explorer and cartographer. Now, at this point, I have to mention that this, the Laszlo de Almazi, was a real dude. Oh. Absolutely. Michael Michael Andachi, who wrote the novel that this uh, movie is based on, for some reason picked him picked him to base uh, as the character for this movie, even though this entire movie is fictional. Other than the fact that the the count is a cartographer and explorer, and he's exploring the Sahara. So none of this none of this movie happened to Almazi. No. Not at all. So instead of hold on a sec, hold the phone, pick up the phone and hold it, because you're saying that. This guy, I didn't even, I didn't even know this was a thing. Yeah. Undachi wrote this book. Yeah. Uh, totally fiction. Yeah. Based on like around the time of the Second World War. Yeah. About a real person, using a real person's name. Yeah. 
a, his real occupation. Yeah, his real like his real like background character of a guy who he was. But then of. making up a completely fictional story yeah. with him. Yeah, no. Why he, not just use someone and say it's sort of based on this him. guy died in like nineteen fifty one or something or fifty three. Like he didn't long after the war. And why it was did... not because of a plane crash. So why not write about a character and like say it's like oh it's loosely based on that guy? You would have to ask Michael Ondaatje that. I well, don't I don't know if he's still living, but if you and, are, Michael, get at us on Twitter. What were you thinking? I'll, I'll mention this as we get into the story, but there's there's some problems about why maybe this guy is the guy you'd want to have being the hero of your movie. Okay. Uh, so yeah, so he, so as our story goes, the Count is he's a cartographer. He's working for the Royal Geographic Society. That also was true. Um, uh, mapping the desert, uh, the Sahara Desert specifically. So he and his pal Peter are there, and they're hanging out, and they're doing their thing, and they're being men, you know, being 30s guys. Is they got their hair combed over. Is this Maddox you're talking about? Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, oh. the, the summary I read uh, called him Peter. <laughs> so I put it in as Peter. The yeah. summary I read. His Jason, buddy. did you watch this goddamn movie? Buddy, I did watch it. <laughs> I assure you I watched it. There was a lot of sand. Okay. So, uh, so Maddox... Peter, uh, they're, they're, and eventually they're joined by an English couple. Yes. Uh, there's the dude, Jeffrey. Jeffrey. <laughs> Jeffrey, yeah, Jeffrey. played by Colin Firth. Played by Colin Firth, looking handsome as ever. Yes, Dashley. And his wife, Catherine. Played by Kristen Scott Davis. Yes. And they've also brought their own plane with them, so they're going to help out with the surveying effort. So they've doubled they've doubled their capacity in one fell swoop. So they're, they're going to be doing some good work. Um, so... Like so many movies, it turns out that this Catherine, she's pretty good looking. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Count, he's also pretty good looking. And they both kind of notice that they're each pretty good looking. <laughs> and they start, to, they start to make eyes at each other a little bit. Well, it's more so... Actually, it seems to be more her. She seems to be more interested in him. I think so. So one of the things that they discover while they're there is this thing called the Cave of Swimmers, which is a real place. And it's, it's basically this cave that has uh, a bunch of prehistoric art. That are drawings of humans in like swimming poses, mm-hmm. and so in the movie and in I think in real I don't know that he actually discovered it or but he may have gone there or something. But yeah, so in the movie they discover it and they're like exploring it or whatever. Um, and uh, yeah, while they're there, she makes some drawings. She makes her own drawings of the drawings, like copies of the drawings uh, on paper, and then proceeds to go to uh, the count. And in a very coquettish way, like, he's like, oh, would you like some of my drawings? And he's completely oblivious. He's like me in high school. He's just like, no, I don't need drawings. <laughs> I don't know a place to put them. I wouldn't, I wouldn't well, know what to do with them. Well, the thing, the thing is, in that scene, I think he says, he says, I would feel obliged. It's almost like this character doesn't want to do anything because he feels like he needs to pay it back. Like, he doesn't want to be obliged to anyone. Ah. He's very, I mean... Let, I see what you're saying. Yeah, we might, yeah, as, well no, talk, we might as well talk about it at this, at this point here in the summary because Ray, uh, Ray finds Albacy, whatever, he's very, uh, he doesn't believe in nationalized borders. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't believe in ownership of any kind. Really is what he says. You you got way more out of this than I did. When the fuck did this come up? Uh, several times. <laughs> he was discussing his whole political credo. No, like he didn't believe. He doesn't believe in own. Well, it becomes kind of a theme of the movie because he doesn't believe in ownership. Doesn't believe in nationalized borders, and he even says that he doesn't believe in adjectives. I just want to play this <laughs> scene. This is kind of like their meat cute, I guess. So here we go. This is Clifton. I'd like to present Count Olmashi. Hello. Jeffrey gave me your monograph when I was reading up on the desert. Very impressive. Thank you. I wanted to meet the man who could write such a long paper with so few adjectives. A thing is still a thing, no matter what you place in front of it. Big car, slow car, chauffeur-driven car, broken car. Still a car. Not much use, though. Love? 
romantic love, platonic love, filial love. Quite different things, surely. Uxoriousness, that's my favourite kind of love. Excessive love of one's wife. Uh, there you have me. <laughs> so... I mean, I think that scene is, there's a lot more going on than just what they're saying. Uh, but yeah, he's a man, he's a very, he's, a, um, I guess, I'm, this, is not, this is not a criticism, but I'd say his character is very dull. Yeah. He's a very dull man. Yeah. By the way, Brendan, I just want to say, this is why we make a good team, because you see the subtleties of the film, and I see the history and background, and be like, nah, his hair's not in the right place. <laughs> Ray finds his way out of watch, made in 1957, <laughs> yeah. You can't, you can't wear that. You become a 1920s gangster, pointing out time inaccuracies. <laughs> so, how did I have it written here? The, the Count turns his interest to surveying the supple 30s curves of the woman Catherine. A married woman! Scandalous! He eventually does take the drawings, though, and accepts them uh, when he realizes kind of what's up. His dick. <laughs> and he takes her to the market and does what any good man does and buys her a fucking thimble. And by the way, I think he only accepts the drawings because, like, remember how I said, like, he doesn't want to feel obliged? Yeah. I think he only accepted them because he saves her earlier from a sandstorm. Mm -hmm. And I think then he's like, oh, I don't owe you anymore. So yeah. it's okay. I don't think he's doing it out of, like, I mean, I think he wants to go to the bone zone with her at this point, but I don't think he's doing it because he, like, has any kind of, like, affection or respect yeah, yeah i think yeah. it's just i think that's the sole reason <laughs> he does he does come across as a very like kind of empty vessel in yeah. a lot of ways he's like a video game protagonist and maybe that's why people like this movie because they can project themselves onto him like uh, a video game protagonist <laughs> you might yeah this english patient if you thought we weren't going to compare it to a video game guys <laughs> it's my favorite my wrong. favorite 1996 point and click adventure game oh i really want them to make a ps4 game about the <laughs> Or Xbox, you know, whatever you like. I'm not trying to single out our listeners. We don't discriminate. No. All right, so... This is, this is the longest we've ever spent on the plot. Okay. Uh, you know, it's... But the, this is the thing about this movie is that it just... It didn't stick in my head. Like, like Zulu and Zivago both had a lot of stuff that really, like, was striking and really, like, was still lodged in my head now. But this movie just kind of, like, sloughed off, like, skin off a fucking thing that you're cooking, a piece of meat. Getting little hints of our of our feelings on this movie early. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I don't mean to... I don't mean to break the objective. Jump the gun! So, yeah, he buys her the thimble. And, you know, I guess in those... Did that represent something? Was that like a symbol of something, Brendan? It was a thimble of something. It was a thimble of hey! So their fun comes to an end when Catherine calls off the affair and the war cuts short their research. So it's kind of two things happen at once, right? Oh, so back in the future, we should mention that Hannah... Back to the, the Back to the back future? in the future. Oh, okay. We'll, we'll come back <laughs> to the past here, but briefly, we've, I wanted to mention, too, that in the future, while this is all going down, and Willem Dafoe is continuing to interrogate... Uh, uh, Laszlo, Almany. Oh yes, because Willem Dafoe is staying with, like you said, he's staying with them. He's staying. He shows up right in the present day. Yeah. Oh, nineteen forty-four, but the present day for the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's interrogating him because he, he seems to know who this person. He's, he's a good he idea. Thinks he knows who he is. He has a good idea of who he thinks yeah. this is. Willem Dafoe does. He's questioning him, and that's yeah. doing the flashback. So I mean, so instead of Hannah listening, because Hannah's off, uh, uh, getting getting close with uh, Kip. I just want to, you know what, I'm just going to say right now, though, yeah. I think she, uh, I honestly, I'm not saying, like, Julia Binoche is wonderful. Yeah. She's great in this movie. I will say, though, that I think her role is so thankless, mm. because it seems like her part in this movie is literally a nurse, like, there's nothing, I mean, it's just like, she seems she's at everyone's beckon, like, call yeah. and beckon. Uh, and I get that, like, that's kind of her role, like, occupation in the movie, but she feels like a weirdly... 
underwritten female role mm. in a mid to late 90s romance movie. Yeah, she's it's a central just, character, but what, what does she really do in the she's movie? She's just there to, like... She's there to listen to him when Caravaggio isn't. Yeah, like, and she's there to... You know, like, like, you mentioned even at the beginning of the movie, she kisses a patient. Like, yeah. he's like, I need a kiss. She kisses him on the mouth. Oh, I totally forgot about that. Yeah, that was... And then like, everyone else is like, there's that Zulu moment where yeah. everyone else is like, hey, give us a kiss. <laughs> I feel like that's going to be a running theme throughout many of these films you that we watch. So? Yeah, Sexism? I don't know. My, but uh, but she's she's getting in her own relationship, having her own fun with uh, with Kip. They're getting, uh, getting real tight, and they yeah. do bone at one point point i believe uh, in your vernacular your words bone zone the bone zone after um, he shows her uh, a cathedral yeah with a rope oh yeah he's yeah he takes her and he makes her fly around and they have a grand old time yep. it's just so much fun gets her wet with gets the cathedral. her wet, yeah. <laughs> with the cathedral i mean and they're in i mean yes they're they're behind the lines but they're essentially still in the middle of a war zone there's a war going on it's almost over but it's going on yeah 1944. But, that, so but like maybe that's away. maybe that's it. Maybe I would be doing the fucking same thing. I'd be flying around on a rope because it's like I could still die any day. Wait, so you would be the Juliet Binoche I be, character? I, I, that's she. I must identify with her in this movie. <laughs> Jason's always caring for people. Get nothing in return. That's it. That's my whole. All life. she got for her fucking hard work was that was she got to fly around a church. And no sapper has ever yeah made me fly around a church. I'll tell you that. Well, Jason, you just wait because you know one day someday my sapper will come. Someday my sapper will. Okay, so yeah, so they're so whatever. The, the the thing is, is that what's going on in the future just isn't that interesting. It's uh, the any the meat of the movie, the interesting stuff in the movie, such that it is, is uh, with Laszlo. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah. So we we go back to the we go back to the past now. Maybe now tell me if I skip something here because <laughs> he's going back to clean the camp up. Like they're kind of shutting down because the war is starting and they need to get the fuck out of there. Yeah. Now the, what's happening is the war in Africa is beginning, so you're having a conflict between the Germans and the British and the French because they all have colonies in Africa, and so that means they're going to fight with each other because they have resources that'll be very useful for their own war efforts. Uh, so they're back cleaning their shit up, trying to get out of there, and you know, Laszlo's hanging out and he looks up in the sky and he sees the plane coming in and he's like, "Oh hey, it's Jeffrey," and he like. I, he, I don't think he waves to him, but I imagine in my head I'm just going like, "Hi, hi, Jeff, what's up?" No, that's directly from the film. Yeah, and, hi guys. So he's coming in, and he in the is it a narration? He like voiceover is I, I guess he he's flashing back. He's like he always was something of a hot pilot. Sound talking about like oh really? Was, well, that he like that he was usually fly, flew fast. Right? Okay. So he's coming in super fast, and he's looking at the plane, and like, oh fuck! And he like dives out of the way, and the plane just fucking obliterates itself into the fucking ground. Just like, boom! Yeah, Colifer slash Gregory is trying to basically kill Aldisey with his plane. Now, um, what what is now? Here's the thing: when I watched that movie the first time, I did not get that fact. I, that did not come up until I was reading back, doing research for the movie itself. I did not get that it was a murder suicide attempt on really? his part. I mean, in retrospect, it makes complete sense, but but like, it didn't register with me. Well, because there's, a, there's, I mean, you know, scene. I mean, we, we're skipping a lot because we got to get through the basic plot structure. Yeah. We're like twenty minutes into this thing, but uh, no, but you don't, you don't remember like when he comes, he he tells her on the phone, he calls home, and he says, "I'm gonna be there tomorrow night," and he wants to surprise her. Okay, and then he shows up. Yeah, and he says, "Stop the car," because he sees her going to like Albacy's. Yes. Okay. Do I know? No, so I that. So that was that when now. that was when he realized. And then we see a shot of his face, and he looks really like. Yeah. So that's concerned. when he starts to realize. I mean, I'd argue he starts to realize earlier than that when he smells the the uh, cologne on her. Okay. But um, after he she's just fucked, obviously like three minutes ago. But anyway, uh, that's when he starts to realize like, oh shit, something's going on. And then even later, when obviously is like drunk and slurring his mm-hmm. words and singing and making eyes at her, then he's like, yeah. 
This is definitely what it is. So I think he just goes crazy and he goes crazy and tries to kill him. And, and, and like he has his wife in there with him and she even says later like he's like I love you so much I love you so much and then dives at uh... okay so anyway sense. continuing from there but I thought the plane crash was real cool because the plane fucking blew apart so Colin Firth slash uh, Jeffrey Jeffrey is gone he's, he's gone he's just fucking there's nothing left of him he's just obliterated into a fine mist well no he's still his body is there oh, <laughs> <laughs> she sees him before he goes over to to uh, Catherine but he goes over to Catherine turns out she's actually still alive she was she was in the back seat, front seat. Uh, front. She's yeah. in the front because in he's flying front. in the back. How did she not get completely obliterated to mist? Uh, movie romance, magic. Oh, movie okay. magic. Yeah, <laughs> it was a special effect. CGI <laughs> kept her alive. So Jeff manages to kill himself, but he doesn't complete the the murder suicide, the murder part of the murder suicide just yet. Uh, Catherine is still alive, so Ray finds drags her ass into the cave of swimmers and puts her in there and sets her up with some shit and uh, probably nuzzles her for a bit kisses her and you know treats her like a lady and then he's like I got, I'll got, i go get help I'm gonna go get help leaves so, her food and water leaves her food water and a light and a book and everything so the histories uh, uh, a DS console a DS console N64 uh, but it was an old TV though so a cell phone yeah. just in case yeah anyway so he heads out across the desert three days he spends walking across the desert which is what the movie felt like three days of walking across the desert. But eventually he gets to this outpost where the British are and he and he's like he's like, I just I just spent walking across the desert for three days and they're like, Oh, that's lovely and he's like, Oh, I, I just I need a car. I need a car because I need to go get someone. They're, they're my my friend, she's dying and they're just like, Oh no, you can't have a car. What's your name? And he's like, Laszlo Dalmeny and they're like, Oh, you're probably a spy and they immediately like clap him in irons. Which I think this this part is interesting though, because the whole time, like I said, he spends like talking about how oh, I hate I hate nationalism. I hate the the countries can like own land, other land, and take over places. And his ultimate thing that screws his mission up is that they think he's German. They think he's some sort of German well, he's ally. Hung- he's Hungarian, which and then Austria, Hungary, and all those people were allies of right. Germany. So he thinks so they, they think, assume he's a spy. They assume he's a German spy or German ally, or whatever. He's not. Um, he's not English enough for them. But the irony is he's neither German nor British. He's no. not... He doesn't feel himself connected to either side. No, philosophically, he's not connected He's not to anything, side. yeah. Although, although he was kind of working for the Royal you know, Royal Geographic Society, which is British. And but still he speaks not po- in a British accent. He's still not, like, politically connected in yeah, any no, way, though. he doesn't seem to give a shit. Yeah, so they think he's a, a German spy. He gets taken off. They, uh... They, uh... They're preparing to take him to some kind of prison, but he... Mm. He... But, he busts out by killing someone. Yeah, uh, a British, he, a British he, soldier. Well, yeah, it's just a guard on the train. There's a couple guards in the car they're on, and he basically hitmans them and fucking gets the cuffs around his neck and just chokes the shit out of them, and then gets the key and gets out. And then does he does he beat up the other guy too? No, he just pieces. He just he just bails out of the train. Yeah, he just bails out of the back and uh, basically. And at this point, he makes a deal with the Germans yeah, so this by is, giving them maps. This is part of what I think all this was before was part of the reason that they, 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 his philosophy combined with the fact that the British are mean to him means that when he when he goes to the fucking Germans, the Nazi kind, yeah. and hands over all the maps he's been working on, that he doesn't seem like a fucking terrible person for doing that. He's got lots of reason because he, he, you know, the British wouldn't help him and they think he's a German. So it's like, well, you think I'm a German? Well, then guess what? I'm going to give my shit to the Germans. Fuck you. Well, to be fair, I think he does it in exchange for favors to find Catherine well, he, he again. He does it for the plane. And also, um... I feel like the movie doesn't let him off scot free with that no. thing that he does because I, I I mean I mean uh, 
uh, Caravaggio, Willem Dafoe, is, you know, right there criticizing him for what he did because that ultimately leads to, uh, that that bit of action ultimately leads to uh, Caravaggio um, being spotted and photographed because he worked for the British. Mm Mm-hmm. And then uh, spotted and photographed, and then ca- captured and interrogated, and had his thumbs chopped off. Should I play that a little bit of that scene? Yeah, I just want to say this scene features one of my most favorite actors of all time, and he has so little to do in this movie, but I'm happy to see with him. I was surprised that was it for Jurgen Prock. Now. Yeah, I know Jurgen Prock now is only in this one scene in the movie, but he played Duke Atreides in Dune, which, as I've always said, is a movie where everything's good except the writing and the acting. Uh, <laughs> the cast is amazing. Um, and he's also in Dust Boot, which is another movie where he played a Nazi and did it very well. Uh, he has some meat on his bones in this movie. Good for him. He's looking He's looking good in this movie. He's looking strong. So here is a little bit of that scene. So uh, this is Willem Dafoe being uh, interrogated about being a spy. This is your nurse, by the way. She's Muslim. So she'll understand all of this. What's the punishment for adultery? Let's leave it at that. You're married and you were fucking another woman, so that's a... Uh... Hands that I cut off? Or is that for stealing? Does anyone know? Well, you must know. You were brought up in Libya, yes? Don't cut me. Or was it Toronto? Ten fingers. How about this? You give me a name for every finger. So, yeah. As he's like, you give me a name for every finger. Chop, chop. Choppy, choppy, chop. And he chops out two thumbs. I'm surprised he got out of there alive. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. only lost his thumbs. He but anyway... Pretty good. Yeah, so he gives the... Ger- the uh, Abbasi gives the Germans the, the fucking... The maps. The maps for fucking British shit. Mm. And it doesn't really matter because he goes back to Catherine and she's already dead. Yeah. She's already dead. So what does he do? He hangs out and spoons her for a while. Yeah. He just spoons with a corpse. Yep, for about for about 20 hours. 20 hours does that, you know. I, I don't, I'm not saying he did anything other than spoon her. I'm just, but you know what? That could have happened. <laughs> but what does happen is that after he's done spooning her, he drags her corpse out to the plane and <laughs> The way you say it. drags her corpse out, <laughs> no, it's so much worse. <laughs> she was really, she was really, she, no, she didn't look big, but she was very dense. Uh, <laughs> it's... So he drags her out to the plane, puts her in the plane, and then takes off. And then we have, like, the circular thing where it's like, uh-oh, he's flying off to crash, and then the movie starts again, and we get real sad. But but no, it's not to be. The movie does end, and I assure you, because what happens is that uh, uh, back in the future, Laszlo, who's been telling his story, is finally done with this shit. It's your maps! It's your maps, Laszlo! <laughs> Great Scott! <laughs> he's done. And he, he indicates this when Hannah goes to get his morphine for him. He knocks, like, five vials in uh, in her fingers and just kind of, like, half smiles. Like, yeah. And so she's like, oh, I guess that means he wants to die. He turns into Bub the zombie from Day, yep. the day of the Dead. Absolutely. He just wants to die. And so she obliges and shoots him up with all the morphine. And then uh, also further obliges him by sitting there and reading the letter that we had seen at some point uh, in the film, Catherine writing as she lay dying. Yes. She left a letter for uh, Laszlo. And uh, she, uh, Hannah, being the, the lovely lady that she is, sits there as he dies and reads her Catherine's last letter so that he dies listening to that letter. Very emotional. Very emotional. And then uh, everybody just kind of fucks off. And the movie ends. Well, and just to wrap up the whole thing with her and Kip is uh, he goes, 
she has, of course, the church thing, the cathedral scene with him. Yeah. He goes to defuse a bomb under a bridge in a very Which is clo- actually a pretty good scene. It's yeah. a classic, uh, classic scene. Very close call. It almost yeah. blows up. She's very grateful because, uh, as we also hear earlier in the movie, she finds that everyone who loves her or knows her ends up dead somehow. Yeah. Uh, so she's very worried in that scene. She's like, oh, I'm cursed. Like, she really truly believes this is going to happen again. Uh, interestingly enough, I thought it was kind of uh, funny. Not funny, haha, but kind of funny that Hardy ends up getting killed. Like, his assistant, mm-hmm. uh, reclining a statue and removing the head, and there was a bomb under, like hidden in, inside. Yeah. And because she kind of knows him too, yeah. So ultimately, it wasn't Kip, but it was rather Hardy that passed away. It's almost like a screwball comedy. Movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in a different, with, with a slightly different tone and script, it would be a screwball comedy. Oh, Absolutely. Hardy! It seems your head's blown completely off. Carry on, English patient. We'll get <laughs> coming, to one of those. Coming, only one of those, though. <laughs> yeah, just the one. Um, but. I see you got something there. What, what yeah, so I wanted to... Now that we're done with the movie itself... Yeah, that's the ad, by the way. Yeah, she, uh, she drives, yeah, they, drive away, they drive away. She jumps on a truck and she they She knowingly like, smiles. The English patient is dead, etc., etc. at the end. Okay, yeah, where are you going to... And gonna... then there's uh, some music and everybody leaves the theater yeah. crying. Yeah. So, Dalmany himself. So, in real life, he was a fucking German... He wasn't a spy, but he ended up working for the Germans. He was a member of the, like, Hungarian Reserve... Um, whatever that military reserve was and that entitled him to like wear the rank wear like the uniform of a German captain mm-hmm. so he served in the desert uh, with the Germans and he did scouting missions and you know um, was in, uh, involved in something called Operation Salem where they infiltrated German spies into the uh, into the Libyan desert behind enemy lines right and it was it was funny because they did it in such a way like because if, if you are operating in the enemy's uniform and in their like vehicles like and disguised as them you're considered a spy right uh-huh. so when you're considered a spy that means they can execute you right then and there there's no rules for or that that's the rule if you're a spy you are executable so if you want don't want that to happen if you want to be treated as a POW in the event you're captured you have to operate above board in uniform so what they did was they stole a bunch of fucking allied like fords uh, like canadian made ford trucks and they painted them up but they painted them in such a way that they like painted iron crosses on the side of them so they were identified as German vehicles, but they painted them in such a way that they were really hard to see. <laughs> and they just wore their right straight uniforms and just basically drove up and then let these guys off who were in, I believe they were in uniforms, because they were spies, uh, and then just drove off. <laughs> so what you're trying to say is this guy's not a good person. No, this guy was not a good dude. This guy d- served in the German for, uh, armed forces. He w- received an iron cross for his involvement in Aper- Operation Salem. Perfect. So, you know, th- why? That's, that was the thing that after this, you know, like doing this research and stuff just boggles my mind. Is like, why did Michael and Dad, she pick this fucking guy to base? Like, why couldn't you just made up a Hungarian name and well, based him a, on him? That's what we said earlier, yeah, right? Like, why, earlier. why did, why couldn't you just take someone else like, come up with a different character and just say well he's loosely based on Laszlo Almasy um, oh and also there's a, there's there's a school of thought that this dude actually was gay so he wouldn't have been <laughs> fucking around in the desert with a lady anyways uh, uh, and he, when he died it wasn't because of a plane crash and the burns thereof he died from amoebic dysentery so I think healthy. he shit himself to death would probably be the 
Let's just see here. What's why wasn't yeah. that scene in the movie? Yeah, abdominal pain, diarrhea, bloody diarrhea. He, he shit himself to death. Why so. wasn't that scene in the why, movie? Yeah, well, how come the movie didn't end that? I way? wanted to see a. You know why up... it didn't end that way? Because morphine makes you constipated. I wanted to see a burned up Ray Fiennes shitting <laughs> until shitting he Shitting everywhere. Dies. <laughs> just like the, Bob Saget shows up. There's shit everywhere. There's, There's shit, shit on the walls. <laughs> it's the only good scene in that movie. <laughs> yeah, not even gonna mention the name of it. Fuck that movie. <laughs> Bob Saget. Just look it up. You'll find you'll it, guys. Find it. Okay, well, I want to talk a little bit about the background on this movie then. Please before do. Before this movie got made. Uh, so this uh, producer, Saul Zanitz, uh, was interested in working with the director, Anthony M- Mag- uh, Mingella? Mingella, Miguela. Whatever. Mingella? Yeah. After he saw uh, his movie, uh, Truly Badly Deeply, starring Alan Rickman. I want to stand with you on the mountain. Uh, 1990, so probably before I wanna that. I want to bathe with you in the sea. So Miguel uh, was a big fan of this book, uh, The English Patient, written mm-hmm. by Michael Adachi. I think that's how you say it. That's, yeah, that's how I've heard it pronounced. Uh, and he basically brought this project, uh, brought this the idea of this project to the producer's attention, to Saul's attention. So during the development of the project, it was originally with 20th Century Fox. Mm-hmm. Uh, according to Miguel, though, the studio said uh, they wanted the insurance policy of having bigger name actors in the movie. So basically they said... Can we just have Debbie Moore in the role? Like, not even... They're not thinking about, obviously, what works best for the movie. Not saying anything against Debbie Moore. But, you know, Debbie Moore can't play I mean, everything. After Striptease, she was on top of the world. <laughs> this is right around the time of that, too. <laughs> well, that was like 94, wasn't it? 96. Striptease? Yeah, it was the same year as this movie. God damn. Can you imagine if she had done Striptease and English Patient in the same year? Oh, man. She, she's both, an all-rounder. She both, can do anything. Both in theaters at the same time. <laughs> you have your... Oh, man. You imagine the Debbie Moore choice we would have had. Oh, so yeah they'd be like hey can we get this person can we get this person can we get get Debbie Moore can we get probably like can we get Tom Cruise can we get uh, whoever and uh, the director was like no 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 like I want Kristen Scott Thomas for this key role and Willem Dafoe those were two people he was dead set on getting he wanted those two actors specifically why did Anthony Minghella see Willem Dafoe as the perfect guy to play a Canadian I don't know but I like the fact that Willem Dafoe didn't try to do a French Canadian I, w- I wish he'd have done like hey you know I'm from Montreal my name's David Carvaggio eh <laughs> or just doing like uh, where people try to do Canadian accents and they just end up doing like Swedish ones yeah. <laughs> or Minnesota or Minnesota pretty yeah. close to Canada to be honest yeah so you know what uh, hero and savior to everyone and just all around great guy Harvey Weinstein yes steps sir <laughs> bringing the pain Harvey Weinstein oh, no. oh fuck Jesus Fuck you. Fuck you, Harvey. But anyway, I just want to make that clear. I'll I, never work for you. That <laughs> was a joke. Anyway, so Harvey Weinstein, Miramax Films, Miramax Films t- uh, took over, and they basically said, yeah, you have the uh, preference, you have your director's preference, whoever you want to cast. So Kristen Scott Thomas and Willem Dafoe were cast, and then, you know, they cast the rest of the movie. So the film was shot on location in Tunisia mm. and Italy. Also with- Tunisia, where they shot Star Wars. Same desert. Same desert. Yep. There you go. Uh, it's same, same production issues level yep. too, because there was some stuff. A lot of wind. Uh, production budget of thirty-one million dollars. That's it. Thirty-one million. That this movie looks what? like a one hundred million yeah, dollar budget it, movie. It does. I mean, I mean, in the nineties, you know, thirty-one million was a significant amount for. I mean, a that's movie. maybe like forty now. Like maybe it's not that know. much more. And the movie made like three hundred and fifty million. Like it's a huge yeah. hit. Massive. Uh, hit. Pop culture phenomenon. And of course, like I said about the Demi Moore thing, Kristen Scott Thomas actually talked about that in an interview saying how she was pretty sure Demi Moore was going to get the role. When she found that she got the role, she called, no one answered for several times, and then she called again, and Anthony was like, 
yes, yes, you got the role. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> that was uh, it. That funny. was all she had. But now, Jason, now that we have talked about this movie, this plot of this movie. As best as, best as I could hold on to. Uh, you did an admirable Thank job. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, now we get into the deep, 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 deep dive. Deep dive. So let's get into this movie. First of all, I want to know if uh, that soldier that gets that kiss from Juliet Binoche, is that all you have to do to get a kiss from Juliet Binoche? Because, hello, I'm right, uh, uh, like, you know, I'm right here. It's 2018, Brendan. Back off. All you got to do is get your uh, get a war injury, and then she'll come up and give you a kiss on the mouth. All right. Hashtag cancel Brendan. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm going to force it. I'm just saying that all takes. I'm into that. <laughs> Um, I think I noticed right at the beginning is that the sort of medicine men that are trying to heal uh, Ray Fiennes, they're not given any lines. Mm-hmm. They're all people of color. No lines. No. No. They're just all there. I mean, it's good. You know, they're, they're, they're like any extras. They're, they're props in the background. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, you think one of them might have a line of like, yes, sir. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so in the beginning when you have Hannah, in the beginning, in the beginning, in the beginning. there was Adam and Eve. Uh, not Adam and Steve. That's common. The rapper. So in the beginning, uh, Hannah is caring for... Uh, caring for... I just got that. <laughs> in the beginning, Hannah is caring for Albacy, who is burned beyond belief. He is very badly burned. Uh, and and we get an early sense of how... You know how we say he doesn't like adjectives? Mm. That weird little exchange there? Because... You notice when she, she finds stuff to feed him, he's like, it's a very plum, plum. <laughs> and that's, it's almost like he doesn't want to even describe a plum. Like, yeah. it's just, <laughs> But that already, like, doesn't make sense to me. Because at this point in the movie, he's supposedly different and mm. changed. And he, if you notice, like, I don't know if you notice this, but, like, when, early on when he's very, like, kind of dull and, like, stone-faced. Well, uh, he doesn't really have a choice on whether he's stone-faced or not because it's all burned. No, I mean like when his face is not burned. Oh, well, earlier okay. in the movie when he gotcha. like when he's when he's. I was gonna burnt. say, have a little empathy, Brendan. It's like all I got was his choice. Uh, friggin' doesn't even move his face much. <laughs> what are you? What's mad? He get a couple of burns. Yeah. But anyway, so oh. no, so he. Um, but he's very stone faced. But then later, once the romance starts kicking in, he gets almost like his language is almost like kind of like more flowy. You know what I mean? Like uh, he uses words a lot. He's Gooder. he's a tight butthole sort of guy, and his butthole slightly loosened, and he starts to be a little less of a butthole. Right, which in this scene, that's a good description of the that's basically the plot of the English yeah. <laughs> But in this scene, he um, he kind of still acts like that. But then again, maybe that's maybe that's him reverting because she's died at that point. So maybe that's just him being like, oh wow, I'm just like me again. Much like Doctor Zhivago, we should yeah. note uh, this movie has a lot of similarities because yeah, it's but it's the taught. Yeah, the romance, the romance is there in ba- in flashback. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have the prelude, which is all the you know him in bed, people coming to live with them. There was uh, nobody quite as badass as Strelnikov. I mean, the Jurgen Prochnow was pretty cool, but he was still a Nazi. He's in like one quick scene. Though. Yeah, he was in one. There quick wasn't really scene. a villain, to be honest. Like, no, no distinct villain. I mean, people did villainous things, but yeah. there wasn't like an over. I mean, the, Hitler. The, the villain, the villain, really <laughs> was the fact that she was married to somebody else. That was the villain of the movie. Well, and here, this is a bit of a long, a longer clip, but I do want to play it. So this is a scene where we first get the idea that it's going to be 
uh, Catherine, uh, Kristen Scott Thomas, it's going to be more aggressively, you know, letting uh, Albacy know, like, I'm into you. Mm -hmm. And and she she tells this story, and I actually do think this is a really good scene. Uh, She tells this story of... um, Anyway, I'm just going to play it, and you can uh, hear it. It's, about, it's from Candelis. Judge for yourselves. Yeah. And, and see, what, see what you read into this, because I think there's a lot more going on again with this uh, dialogue. I don't know about that. Here we go. <laughs> but the king insisted that he would find some way to prove beyond dispute that his wife was fairest of all women. I will hide you in the room where we sleep, say Candelis. Said Candelis. Candelis. Candelis tells Gyges that the queen has the same practice every night. She takes off her clothes and puts them on the chair by the door to her room. And from where you stand, you will be able to gaze on her at your leisure. And that evening, it's exactly as the king has told him. She goes to the chair, removes her clothes one by one, until she's standing naked in full view of Gyges. And indeed, she was more lovely than he could have imagined. But then, the queen looked up and saw Gyges concealed in the shadows. And although she said nothing, she shuddered. And the next day, she sends for for Gyges and challenged him. And hearing his story, this is what she said. Off with his head. (laughs) she said either you must submit to death for gazing on that which you should not or else kill my husband who has shamed me and become king in his place so Gyges kills the king marries the queen and becomes ruler of Lydia for 28 years the end so I think that scene is a very good scene because I think it's um, it's her hinting at Ray Fiennes, yeah, or almost at that point because she's basically saying, "Listen, this is a story about a king who uh, thought his his queen was so beautiful that he could he had to share her, share it with the world." So he told some dude, "Hey, come leer at my wife," and when she caught him, she said, "I mean, you heard the story." She says basically like, "You either uh, you're gonna be put to death or kill my husband and become the new king." So she's kind of saying, "Listen." I like I. This is my interpretation. She's saying, "Listen, Almacy, I know you're into me. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm into it. But if you want to do anything about it, you better not so much kill, but get get make get my husband out of the picture. And or if you're not going to do that and become like you know become like my new lover and like my husband, uh, stick with me till through thick and thin. Then you know what? Just hit the bricks." I think that's what it is because I think he doesn't want anything more than a fling. I think what I took from it was is that she's saying, she's looking at him and saying, look, if you just kill my husband, uh, then everything will work out. See, you're saying, it's very literal. She was, you know, she doesn't seem like a woman of much subtlety. Uh, so she's straight up telling him to murder her husband. <laughs> but it turns out that he does it for her. He does it himself, the husband. What a nice guy. I know. I mean, he forgot to take her out of the seat, out of the pilot seat, though. <laughs> And I'm joking about the subtlety thing. Don't I don't want you to think that I didn't think she was subtle. She was super subtle. I get it. She was subtle. It was a thing. Great. Don't what? don't come at me because you like this movie. Uh, but I I do want to say like no. I think I think that's the movie's way of introducing that idea. Uh, and basically because like he even says. 
because there's even a scene later. So they're in the bathtub together, which we see her boobies. <laughs> and uh, he says, um, he says, what do you like? What do you love? And she t- goes through all these things. And then eventually she says, my husband. And he's like, and he kind of changes his whole tone, right? Mm, and then he says, what yeah. do you hate? Or actually, he's fine. And then he says, what do you hate? And she says, lies. And his whole face just turns, and he says, "He kind of is like, you know what? We don't do we, we don't we don't need to do this. We don't we don't need to do this." And it's like, or he says, "Like you know, after after this, uh, it's over. Like we this is not a constant thing." And it's very like, aha! So he doesn't want to like face the music. You know what I mean? And that's kind of like what her story was. It's like face the music and do something and be my be my husband. I don't want to just do this once and be over, be it over with. Do that or hit the bricks. Yeah, that's why I think this is what it means. I think you're right. This has been. Uh, but I'd rather think that she just straight up wants him to murder the husband because that would be a better movie. If we went down that road, Jason, we're gonna get to that. In a okay, second. all right, we're gonna get to the, the, the critique in a second here. But um, I mean, I, I think you get the idea so far. Yeah. No, I get it. So. So another thing I like too is uh, going back to Albacy's thing with not liking nationalized borders, not like not believing in ownership. There's a very uh, funny bit when Willem Dafoe's character shows up because he's also he's from Montreal and the nurse is also from Montreal and he Albacy is like, oh, uh, you know, just because you're from the same place, you like invite him with open arms. Isn't that weird? How like yeah. just because they're it's from like, the would same... you? It's like if you'd been walking down the same street in Montreal and you walk by him, would you look twice at him? Yeah, like <laughs> if there's a taxi driver in Montreal, you'd invite him into your home. Like, yeah. what's the what's the deal there? He's very snarky for a man that's burning. <laughs> he does not give a fuck anymore. No. Okay, there's a weird line as well. So there's a right now. There's a weird line where Colin Firth says that. Uh, him and his, him and Catherine were he was like he said we were practically brother and sister before we were man and wife. Yeah, I thought that was weird too. <laughs> like I, I, the, the thing he says before that is like we were best friends. That's fine. Yeah. But the brother you throw the brother and sister thing in it gets weird. Like I get I get that sort of like hey we grew up together we were you know buddies and we were super close and then we got married that's a little weird. <laughs> I mean I get that but it just it, yeah it comes across as strange. I've got a lot of issues with the r- romance, and uh, no, it's not because I'm a racist. I got a lot of issues between why the two white people. No, no, no. Uh, oh, you mean with Saeed? With the romance, uh, Naveen Andrews, Kip. Wow, he's so burned into my head as Saeed. My apologies. Burned. Yeah, burned. Head. Burned. Well, he was an Iraqi torturer. Um, I just mean because Ray Fine's face was burned. Oh, yeah, it was, wasn't it? <laughs> so I just want to talk about like the relationship. That develops between him and Hannah. I I don't. Why? Yeah. I I'd like uh, to give her. She doesn't need like a romantic no. lead. I don't understand. The only reason I understood that was for the purpose of having that scene where you thought, oh, someone else close to her is gonna die, yeah. and then that other dude that dies was kind of also close to her. Was that but, like a late addition? I mean, I don't know. I haven't read the book, so I don't know. But if, honestly, it might be in the book too, and it was part like, hey, we gotta get this in. Fans will be crazy if we don't put Kip in the book. All those, movie. all those millennial English patient fans yeah. will be like, oh my god, book is so much better. But even if it's in the book, it is in the book, by the way. Yeah, I was looking into that a little bit. Um, just cut it. I, I think that's a good 30, maybe not 30 minutes, but like 20, 30 minutes you could easily cut from the movie. It's just, that's the problem. That's, I think, one of the biggest issues with this movie. It kind of made me appreciate Dr. Zhivago a little bit mm. because this movie, it, both movies feel long, but... This movie is bloated, mm. and it 
feels like Oscar bait. Like yeah. you said, it feels like a blockbuster. I think it feels like it's like no. I said it the smells ac- like a blockbuster video store. Is what I said. Oh, sorry. Of popcorn and carpet. That's okay. I didn't hear blockbuster. I just heard uh, blockbuster video. I, maybe like, I didn't say it, but that's what I meant. A blockbuster uh, video store. Popcorn that's what, and I was wondering why carpet was a big deal <laughs> blockbuster, but. No, it feels like it's it's basically like and the Academy, the Academy Award goes to and I mean it paid off as we'll yeah. get into later. Oh yeah, big but, time. But but it feels very like Oscar bait and like there's movies that still do it now. As much as I'm sure I'll love the movie, First Man I hear is very much like that, mm-hmm. but it's getting like you know amazing reviews. And I want to see it because I love the moon. And I, I yeah, and I love Ryan Gosling. He's great, and I love the director because he did La La Land. But I mean, there's still movies that do that, and this just feels like it's. There are scenes like, okay, the, the, well, the whole romance, but the scene in the cathedral where he's, like, flying her around and stuff, it's so unnecessary yeah. to the rest of the plot. I mean, it's nice that she gets a nice moment, I suppose. The Willem Dafoe interrogation scene is a good scene, but why Why does it have to be in this movie? Why do you need a whole scene Do you feel like how his thumbs got cut off instead of just saying, you know, that's what happened? Well, we got Jurgen Prock now in the movie, so... Yeah. Again, he's in the opening credits, and he's in, like... In the movie for about two minutes, he should have he should have got the Anthony Hopkins Oscar and di- for that. and dies off screen. Or wait, who who won the Oscar for less time than that? Who was the six minutes? Was there a lady? Yeah, there was some lady that won an Oscar for like six minutes in a movie. She was that good. I'm not sure. Less time than Alec Baldwin and Glenn Gary Glenn Ross. Did he win for that? Uh, I think he did. Okay. I think he got a best. He at least got a nomination for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As as much as we like, we'll criticize this movie for being bloated over long. A little. Uh, not cocky, but like like kind of pompous in a way. Yeah, there's a lot of good acting in this movie. Oh yeah, the acting's fine. Uh, Juliette Binoche, of course, is the one that won the Oscar. Uh, the other two were nominated: Kristen Scott Thomas and Ray Fiennes. But there is Wait, a lot of she won the Oscar for this movie. Juliette Binoche. I mean, she's the... I mean, she's great. She's fine, but like her role is so feels so insubstantial. Like, Thankless. why is that the one that won? I mean, did well, she win for best actress or best supporting actress? Su- best actress, I think. Wow. Because technically she is the lead. I guess so, yeah. Yeah. But I do want to say, Kristen Scott Thomas is phenomenal in this movie. I think there's so much, like, nuance Mm. in her acting. Like, when when she has this conversation with Almacy, she says, um, she comes clean and says, no, my husband, because her husband goes away to photograph, quote-unquote, members of the army. But she says, no, that's not actually the case. He's going there to fly over uh, South Africa and, you know do more map stuff yeah. <laughs> and uh but and then she says that that that's that part was all fiction and then uh obviously says what about your marriage and she says no no that's not fiction but the look she gives when yeah. she says that it's very and it's not like obvious it's not like a bug eye like well that's uh. not fiction <laughs> but she gives this like subtle look like yeah yeah there's something not she's not saying here and she kind of like furls her brow or whatever but and then she also says in that scene so my husband's not going to show up in Cairo all of a sudden if you're counting on his sudden appearance, meaning like, if you want something to happen, now's your chance. Obviously, is dumb for most of this movie. Um, <laughs> they threw in some uh, Kipling shade. Yeah. Some shade on uh, Kipling, which we mentioned yeah. before, I think, because uh, he he came up in the... Uh, with, with the, with the red coats and the pith helmets, he was going to come up. Kipling came up in the Zulu episode, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, or maybe Chicago. I don't know. Anyway... Yeah, because uh, it's funny though because they're arguing. He's arguing with almost. He's arguing with um, Kit 
about mm. the about how it's pro-colonial. Like he basically says, like, well, Kipling says I should just be ruled by the British, which yes, Kipling was a racist. Yeah. Let's just say that. And you know, almost he's more interested in the in the writing, just the strength of the writing. And the great thing is that. Um, Hannah walks over, Julia Binoche, and she says, well, I don't like it because it's sexist. And like, <laughs> that's true, too. Like, it's all about men. Yeah. There's no mention of women, barely, in any of his books. Um, just more on, like, this relationship. I just think this relationship is really good. Like, I think it's written really well. Mm. But I think it's... I just think there's so many... There are other issues mm. in a better-paced movie mm. I would maybe enjoy more. Like, there's the thing where Almacy, uh She's about to leave, and... She says, no, come with me, come with me. Like, uh, um, what the fuck is her name? Kristen Scott Thomas in the movie. Catherine. Mm. She's like, come with me, Almacy, come with me. And he says, and he says, uh, no, 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 I can't. I don't want to because he doesn't want to continue this thing. And then he says, Mrs. Clifton, he calls her. <laughs> as if to remind her, like, we can't do this. Uh, I believe you still have my book, is what he says. <laughs> and she is... Not happy about that, but literally in the next scene, they finally fuck. What about that sex scene? That first one? Yeah. That is a violent, <laughs> uncomfortable scene. He has this... Did you notice in one of the scenes he has this hook move? He stuck his thumb oh, in yeah, her mouth. Oh yeah, yeah, put the thumb in her mouth. I'm thinking, oh jeez, you're getting dirty. Uh, getting that, dirty for the 30s. Didn't someone get in trouble for that like yeah. not that long ago? Yeah. I mean, I get it, I get it, but shit, in a movie, <laughs> wow. <laughs> I don't know, the thumb in the mouth thing, yeah. it's kind of weird. Whew. Ooh, I'm kind of, I'm getting kind of, whew. Oh, Jason, can you put your... <laughs> lordy, lordy, lordy. Can you put your pants back on? Ah, <laughs> oh, damn it. <laughs> um, there's other, uh, another great moment of her acting, too, is when Colin Firth, they're at this party. This is like, dinner, banquet? I'm, mm. sure, I'm not sure what that was, but Colin Firth is like dressed up as Santa. Yeah! And uh, he's fucking his wife yeah. in the back. Yeah. And, and she sees, she sees Colin You can Colin see the Firth. outline of them through the glass. Yeah, they're, they're fucking. Yeah, totally. Uh, and then uh, Catherine sees Jeffrey later, slash Colin Firth, and she says, uh, oh, Jeffrey, you do so love a disguise. And it's almost like she's commenting on herself. Cause mm. she has, he's basically wearing a disguise in front of her husband. Well, right? don't we all wear masks, Brennan? Whoa. Whoa. Do, 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 do. Okay, so let's get to the ending of the movie. Um, let's talk about... Uh, so Matt, we didn't really talk a lot about Maddox, but that's yeah. like his best friend. Almost he's like right hand man, and he. This is like a pretty tragic end because we learned from Caravaggio, well yeah. Defoe's character, that Maddox has killed himself. Yes, when he found out that Almasy was a German spy, which he is not. No. but because Almasy gave those maps to the Germans to locate his, uh, to locate Catherine in the mm. cave, people heard that and assumed oh he was working for the Germans the whole time so Maddox kills himself kills himself at least my theory is maybe not because that's what Willem Dafoe says mm. we never see it it's true we never hear from everyone anyone else and he is like you know he's a spy he, he's known to tell a lie or two like I'm not saying he didn't kill himself but you know there's a gray area there well, well that may be resolved someday in the sequel The English Patient 2 Back in the Hood <laughs> Englisher and patienter. Two English, two patient. <laughs> English, English patient and gold member. <laughs> so, thus, this tragic tale concludes 
with a man named Almasy, who doesn't believe in nationalized borders or ownership, getting mistaken for a villain by the British for his strange last name, tells the Germans all about his maps because he just needs someone to help find Catherine in the cave and ends up finding her dead. And because of all of this, a series of events happens where Mom Defoe is eventually found out and has his thumbs lopped off. This ends not well for anyone except for maybe uh, uh, Caravaggio and, um, oh my god, names. Yeah. Hannah. Probably better Julia for Panosh. Hannah, because Caravaggio is still missing a couple thumbs. That's true. Uh, and he does kind of say, like, you know, it's funny, because the British thought I was ger- uh, German. Uh, the Germans shot me down. And now, th- th- you know, these uh, tribesmen found me. And now I'm being cared for the British. And they called me an English patient. And that's the name of the movie! He said it! But he says, like, isn't that funny? Yeah. After all that, I became known. I, that's what, yeah, that's exactly. what I became known He's as English. finally known as English. Yeah. And then, you know, one of the last things I have is uh, Will Defoe is like, what makes you think I won't kill you? Because, you know, he suspects he knows who he is now. Yeah. And he says, you can't kill me. I died years ago. And he did. Kind of. <laughs> well, that is the English patient. <laughs> well, spoiler. Okay, Jason, honestly, tell me what you think about the English page oh you know no 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 what am I doing we are saving that for the very end okay we're saving that for the very end alright you hold that in alright I will hold it in your gullet I will okay uh, I do want to talk about the Oscars thing here alright so it won 9 Oscars it was nominated for 12 mm-hmm. it won 9 so it wins best picture mm-hmm. best supporting a- supporting actress okay uh, supporting actress Juliette Binoche best art direction cinematography costume design best director best film editing best original score and best sound mm. Nominated for Best Lead Actor for Ray Fiennes, Lead Actress for Kristen Scott Thomas, Best Adapted Screenplay. Did not win those, mm-hmm. but it was nominated for them. So, I mean, it's sw- it swept. Yeah. And it was a big, big deal. However, here... So, Julia Binoche winning... The, you you remarking with incredulousness, like, not that she's bad, but just mm. like, what? It's, you were yeah. not the only one at the time. Yeah. So, Lauren Bacall was nominated. It was like the last... I mean, she's passed away since. Oh, yes. But this is the last time, I believe, she's nominated. I don't believe she's ever won an Oscar. Oh, so they thought this was going to be her, like, This yeah, was going to be her, her, her big year. Um, she's the heavy, heavy favorite. Mm. So much so that when Juliette Binoche goes up to accept her award, this happens. I'm so surprised. It's true, I didn't prepare anything. I thought Lauren was going to get it. And I think she deserves it. I think we all tried our best on this film, and Anthony was there to help us. I'm so amazed. <laughs> this is a dream. It must be a French dream, I think. Bye. Adorable. But she basically is like, I don't yeah. know what to say. Uh, she didn't get it either. We, we all, you know, gosh shucks, we all did our best. We gave you the old college try, and we had a good time. I mean, <laughs> so much so, Laura McCall is a favorite that I don't think any of the other nominees wrote speeches. Yeah. That's, that's like, that's crazy. That's like, uh, yeah. I'm trying to think of a comparison. Maybe that's like what Al Pacino won for like Scent of a Woman or something. Yeah. But, uh, that's insane. So, the other thing I wanted to play here real quick, because you you said you had the other nominees for Best Picture. from that year. So what you're going to hear now is you're going to hear the, um, Al Pacino presenting, by the way. (laughs) The, uh. Al Pacino! The, um, nominees for Best Picture and then announcing the winner. And aside from hearing the other nominees, I want I want to see if you notice something about English Patient that doesn't happen for the other ones. Okay? So here we go. Okay. Uh, the nominees for Best Picture 
are the English patient, Saul Zanet, producer, Fargo, Ethan Cohn, producer, Jerry Maguire, James L. Brooks, Lawrence Mark, Richard Sakai, and Cameron Crowe, producers, Secrets and Lies, Simon Channing Williams, producer, Shine, Jane Scott, producer. So, of course, he announces, you know, the winner is the English patient. Did you notice one thing? Did they not applaud for the English patient? They did not applaud. Was this a guy who sold out people on the blacklist? This, uh, <laughs> I don't know, but this is, every single movie gets applause except for the English patient. Because this is the end of the night. I think people are getting tired of it. I think people are getting tired of it winning everything. Uh, like, fair enough. Even that year, the man who, uh, the man who wins best original song gets on the microphone. His acceptance speech is literally, wow. I'm so relieved the English patient didn't have an original song to get nominated. <laughs> Otherwise, I wouldn't be standing here before you. Thank you and good night. That's his <laughs> That's whole a great speech. speech. Yeah. That's awesome. So that, that, that happens. And yeah, let's talk about the other movies there. Secrets and Lies I've never seen. But Me by neither. the way, that is, that is on the list. So that's coming up at some point. Okay, so that'd be cool. Um... Uh, uh, the English Patient, no. English got Patient, yeah. Shine, which I've also never seen. But I've, I've never heard, seen Jeffrey I've heard, Rush. But I've I mean, heard good things. Yeah, it's, it's it's you know it was a well-regarded movie. Jerry, obviously, Jerry Maguire is a good movie. It's a movie that is you know, but the one that stands out is fucking Fargo. Fargo. Fargo's the movie that everybody remembers. Nobody remembers fucking Secrets and Lies and Jerry Maguire. I... Well, Jerry Maguire showed me the money. Jerry Maguire is like a good movie, but I don't know if it's like an Oscar nominee. But who remembers Shine or Secrets and Lies? Like yeah. like well, beyond movie trivia buffs. Secrets of Lies, coming soon! And The English Patient is remembered by me un until I saw it last week. The only reason I ever knew about it was because it was in an episode of Seinfeld. There was a whole fucking episode, I think, around them trying to see it or something. You got a clip. Yeah, so I do have a clip from Seinfeld. Uh, so Yes, I do. So Elaine on Seinfeld, of course, we all know Julia Louis-Dreyfus, um, hates The English Patient. Yeah. Like, every time it's brought up to her in an episode or around the time the movie comes out in theaters, she talks about how much she doesn't like it. So, she has a boss, she has a boss she's trying to impress at work, and he's talking about how great it is, so she just pretends she hasn't seen it, and he says, oh, let's go see it! <laughs> so, this is her in the theater, uh, watching The English Patient with her boss, and, um, well, just listen to what happens. <laughs> Elaine, I hope you're watching the close because I can't take my eyes off the bash. No, I, I can't do this anymore. I can't. It's too long. Quit telling your stupid story about the stupid desert and just die already. Die! Shh. Elaine, you don't like the movie? I hate it! I'm going to hell! Why didn't you say so in the first place? You're fired. Great. I'll wait for you outside. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, Elaine, very vocal. <laughs> Her opinion of this movie. Okay, so right before we get to kind of what our kind of closing thoughts, Rotten Tomatoes consensus is even a little prodding because it, it, it has a solid rating. I think it has like a... Like an 86 or something like that. 84, something in the 80s. Critics or... Uh, critics. Critics, yeah. Um, audience score is pretty high too, though. Honestly, yeah. it's like a 90 or something. But the Rotten Tomatoes consensus, though it suffers from excessive length and ambition, director Minghella's adaptation of the Michael Adache novel is co complex, powerful, and moving. 
Uh, it has an 87 on Metacritic. Universal acclaim. Mm-hmm. Roger Eber gave the movie a four-star rating out of four stars, saying it's the kind of movie you could see twice. First for the questions, the second time for the answers. Leonard, That's a good line. I'll give Roger that. That's a good line. <laughs> Leonard Maltin gave it a three and a half out of four, calling it a mesmerizing adaptation of a Dachi's novel, saying Fines and Scott Thomas are perfectly matched, well, which I will say they do have chemistry. And he concluded by calling the film uh, an exceptional achievement all around. Now, I had written down negative critic reviews, and then I couldn't find any. No. I'm sure they're out there. Surely. <clears throat> but uh, I guess I didn't find any. So let's come to a conclusion here. Mm-hmm. It's number 55. Number 55 on the British Film Institute Top 100 British Films of All top British Time, as you said before. Mm-hmm. Jason, I have a feeling you were as fond of this movie as the other two. <sighs> this, this... See, because there's, there's, there's movies that are bad and, and they can be memorable because, you know, they're so bad or, or they're, they're offensive or whatever. Um, and, and then there are movies that are well-made and... and and beautifully shot and the, the a great cast and it just ends up being a zero. And for me, that's what this movie is. It's just, it's kind of a zero because I have a hard time even remembering what happened in this movie. Like it's a zero rating? No, well, no, a zero just, to me, in my personal view, like in, in the sense of like, n- not in a, n- not like in a, a literal, like a zero out of 10. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I'm not doing that. There, there are redeeming qualities. To okay. Okay. <laughs> this is a competently made motion picture. There's oh. no question to that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, a, a zero would be like, you know, like a handheld fucking camcorder or something like that. But Ted, what are you talking about? No, I, I just mean a zero in the sense of like how it makes me feel in that I don't feel really anything for it. Okay. I don't have any like emotional reaction to this movie. I watched it. I enjoyed how it looked. I, I like the actors in it. They're all very, they're doing good jobs, you yeah. know, but, and you know, this may be a reflection on me that maybe I am a stunted 14 year old boy truly at heart, but it's like a, like a romance movie like this. Like even Zhivago was a romance movie, but I, you know, I, I, I got it. I enjoyed the scenery. I enjoyed the characters. Like there was enough there that even though romance movies aren't my thing that I got it, but this one just didn't do it. It, it didn't was, grip, it didn't grip me. No, it didn't grip, it didn't grip me either. It no. was, and, and the thing about the other two movies is that Zulu's a great movie and Zulu did a lot of action or whatever, but they both were so rooted in the history and I love history. Yeah. And this, the history's there, but it's so like, it's, it's, it's background. It's even it's literal more, ba- scene, it's setting. even more background than Zhivago. Yeah. Which we said during that episode that it, that felt background. Yeah. It was, it was pretty back, but it also, but it figured into like kind of everything, but this, like the war and stuff and the political situation, no, no, who cares? It's not, it's, it's literally just happening. It's an excuse for them to leave when they have to leave. Cause the war is starting. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's a reason that he can get the fucking plane is cause he can trade the maps to the enemy. You know, I mean, it factors into the plot, but only so far as to move the plot forward. Yeah. And you know what? And I get if you are, if you like romance movies, if you like this sort of like relationship stuff, I get that this, this would be a pretty damn good one of those. Yeah. But it just doesn't resonate with me. So and I'm just, yeah, I'm just going to say straight up. I don't really care for it that yeah. much. Yeah. I mean, I talked about a lot of things that I liked, mm-hmm. but again, this movie is two hours and 42 minutes mm-hmm. long. It sure feels like over, it's over three hours. Yeah. Um, there's just too much. It's almost like they didn't have an editor because there's so much I mean it's beautifully edited I'm I'm just gonna say that too it's wonderfully cut together Mm. but there's so much that they could have taken out there's so much stuff that doesn't need to be there there's so many good scenes but don't need to be in the movie you Mm. need to learn as I know that you need to learn as an editor even if a scene is good if it doesn't like move the plot forward or do anything to kind of help you know your movie it's not worth keeping and that's why DVDs have fucking deleted scenes I would describe this movie as like 
for me, it's like it's like if I went to Burger King and they just gave me like just a fucking like massive platter of burgers and were like here, and I'd be like, well, I guess there's a lot of them. That's kind of what the movie is. It's like, well, there sure is a lot of it. <laughs> you can't you can't argue with the dollar value for the amount of uh, film time. You spend twenty five dollars on the VHS for this movie, you get your money's worth because you get almost three hours worth of desert shit. That's right. So, I mean, beloved at the time. And, you know, neither of us are saying it's, you know, horrible. We have a very, I mean, we're both two two white males that grew up in the 90s and whatever our perspectives are, there are definitely other perspectives that would probably enjoy this film. And, like I say, it's not a badly made movie at all. There's, like, I would say eight of the ten Academy Awards, or how many it won, how many did it win? It won nine out of twelve. Nine out of twelve. So seven of those, seven of those uh, nine awards were probably deserved as far as, like, all the technical shit Ooh, goes. so you don't think Julia Binoche or Best Picture? No. No. Okay. No, Fargo was the movie that, in, in retrospect, in the retrospective year of Best best Picture, Fargo wins. No, no, but supporting, in my mind. supporting actress, you don't think either? I mean, I don't, honestly, I'd have to go through the list, but like... Honestly, yeah, if, yeah. I, if I had to pick fra- an actress from the movie, I'd probably say <coughs> Kristen Scott yeah. Thomas above Yeah, she does Julia much more heavy lifting. And that's nothing against Julia Binoche. No, she, I think she does fine. She does a, like a, a very, she, co- over, more than competent job. But any issues with the role are not not because of her; it's because of the writing. It's just underwritten. Yeah, it's super underwritten. And this movie is heralded as, heralded as a classic. And goddammit, it, we are taking it to task. I don't <laughs> think it's a classic. I think it's a very well made movie. I think it's very well acted. It's well written. It's well directed. But it is not the 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 tone is fine. But yep. the, just the um the pacing is all over the place. It's slow. It's bloated. It's Oscar bait. It works as a. I bet you it works as a book. But it doesn't work on the screen. It's too long. It's too that's, long. That's that's our that's our thing. So number fifty five. I don't so, know. I mean, that's pretty far down the list. I'm willing to say at this point, Brandon. I'm willing. To oh, make the here we go. I'm willing to amend our list. The English well, patient. my list. The English patient is is the worst British film ever made as of this moment. And Doctor Zhivago is the second is best. The second best. British and the second film. worst. And the second worst. <laughs> it is it is the most mediocre British film ever made. There we go. And Zulu remains the greatest British film of all time. And also third worst. So, take that for what it's worth, guys. Um, it, it, I noticed you mentioned David Lean there. And it does have a bit of a David Lean aesthetic in retrospect. Like, I mean, yeah, the, the desert and stuff. It's reminiscent of Lawrence of Arabia, but not nearly that movie. But I won't get into that. We'll get to that when we talk about that. Well, Hopefully not next week, because <laughs> I love that movie, but I don't want to watch a four-hour movie after watching a three-hour movie after watching a three-hour movie after watching a three-hour movie. <laughs> I want something short and fun, so you better fought, fuck this dice roll up, Brendan, or I'm going to be very angry. Well, now we come to that portion. Of, yeah, I'm under a, a meet, like tons of pressure. You right are now. under a lot of pressure. I am you under should be so much pressure. So, I mean, I guess it's your turn to roll though, because oh, I rolled it? last week. So now, okay. Jason, I'm willing to take the hit. Don't fuck this up. I will not fuck this up. So what we are going to do now, folks, is we have our two dice, our D10 and our uh, regular D, I guess. Our regular D and Jason's gonna roll them to find out what our next movie is here on for screen and country for screen and country so Jason blow them dice are you ready I'm ready are you willing I am able are you Gable Clark go so we, we have 25. 25. Okay. We're kind of hanging around the center here. Do, 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 do. What is our next movie, Brendan? Well, I am looking for right now 25. We are watching 
Great. You wanted something lighter. Yeah. We are watching The Full Monty. All right. The okay. Full Monty. Number, right. number 25. Number 25. That's very high. That's very high. But, hey, we'll save it. So... I saw that movie when I was a teenager, so I'm interested to watch it again. Yeah, I've seen it once a yeah. long time ago, and I don't think I was paying attention <laughs> very much. <laughs> so, number 25, The Full Monty. That will be our next episode, folks. So, thank God. <laughs> so, and, and, and the bear mind, get excited, because The Full Monty features both and the actor who played Robert Baratheon on Game of Thrones. Sure. Mark something. Yeah. Whatever his fucking name is. Addy? And, yeah, Mark Addy. And uh, it also features a Scottish actor who uh, played Hitler in a TV movie once. Okay, so yeah, so there you go. So, so next time we will be talking about the Full Monty number twenty five. Twenty five on the BFI Top One Hundred British Films of All Time. But with that being said, God save the Queen. God save the screen. And for screen and country, I'm Brendan. I'm Jason. See ya. And my heart beats so that I can hardly speak. And I seem to find the happiness I seek When we're out together dancing cheek to cheek Heaven, I'm in heaven And the cares that hung around me through the week Hi, I'm Noelle Heil, the host and creator of Heil on Life, the podcast where I talk one-on-one with people who inspire me. My guests come from all walks of life, different jobs and careers, and they all have different motivations that have helped them throughout their lives. I find their stories fascinating and hope that you will too. To learn more, find me on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, YouTube, Tumblr, and Libsyn. And remember, we may have similar stories, but our journeys are all our own. It's time, let's check our cue, baby. Pair it with a couple brews, baby. We love good movies. We love the bad ones, too. So we watch them all and pass their lessons on to you. Oh yeah. Everything I learned from movies With a one last plot holes a gratuitous It's time to get busy with your friend Steven is at eilfm.podbean.com Hey, this is Liz. And this is Heather. And we are Nerdy Bitches Podcast. A show where two geeky ladies podcast their way through pop culture. From movies and TV to our regular book club and everything in between, we bring you our favorite fandoms with a feminine eye. We're talking Star Wars, Star Trek, Harry Potter, DC Marvel, comic books, and anime. And don't forget sci-fi, fantasy, action movies, video games, D&D, board games, and so much more. Be sure to check us out on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbeam, or wherever you find awesome podcasts. You can also find us hanging out on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and at nerdybitches.com. Talk to you soon.